thought there would be more material in 1846 and then 47 when he's at Walden, but apparently not. And maybe the, they didn't put in overlapping material with Walden. We're reading the journals of Henry David Thoreau, the best from the best, and now it's 1846. Thoreau would be 29 years old. This was another significant year, though Thoreau spent less time at his hut than he had before. He remained the retreat where he did some of his most fruitful writing. In July, he spent a night in the Concord jail because he had declined repeatedly to pay a poll tax. He was let out the next morning when someone paid it. But Thoreau never forgot the experience. He confirmed his contempt for government and fueled his lecture. And then his essay on civil disobedience. Later in summer, he traveled to Maine again, this time with a better purpose than looking for a job. He hiked through the Maine woods and found them a pleasure and an inspiration. Only a few pages of the journal survive, of which the passages below are a sample. So maybe a lot of the journals didn't survive. Hmm. Hmm. March 13th. The law of the song sparrow and blackbird heard today. The snow going off. The ice in the pond one foot thick. March 26. The change from foul weather to fair, from dark sluggish showers to serene elastic ones, is a memorable crisis which all things proclaim. The change from foulness to serenity is instantaneous. You think this is March 26. <laughs> hmm. Suddenly an influx of light, though it was late, filled my room. I looked out and saw that the pond was already calm and full of hope as on a summer evening. Do you think a pond can be full of hope in the springtime? <laughs> Well, spring technically started in March 21. Though, through, though, not through, not thorough, but th not through, but through the ice. Though, <laughs> though the ice was dissolved by yesterday, there seemed to be some intelligence in the pond which responded to the unseen serenity in a distant horizon. Do you think a pond has serenity or intelligence, or is he just projecting the human does? I heard a robin in the distance, the first I had heard the spring, repeating the assurance. Robins are like a sign of spring. The green pitch pine suddenly looked brighter and more erect as if now entirely washed and cleansed by the rain. I knew it would not rain anymore. 
A serene summer evening sky seemed darkly reflected. I knew it would not rain anymore. A serene summer evening sky seemed darkly reflected in the pond. Though the clear sky was nowhere visible overhead, I was no longer the end of the season. It was no longer the end of the season, but the beginning. The pines and shrub oaks, which had before drooped and cowered the winter through with myself, now recovered their several characters, and in the landscape revived in the expression of an immortal beauty. Trees seemed all at once to be fitly grouped to sustain new relations to men and to one another. There was somewhat cosmical in the... There was some... There was somewhat cosmical in the arrangement of nature, of, oh, the evening robin at the close of a New England day. If I could ever find the twig he sits upon. Hmm. 1847. Thoreau finished the manuscript of the week to his satisfaction and then tried to get it published by the time the year ended. Four firms had declined to print it without subsidy. So they didn't, weren't going to print it without being paid. In September, Thoreau, tired of living in his hut, returned to Concord. The next month, Emerson sailed for London, leaving his household in charge of Thoreau. He again lived at the Emerson's and acted again as a universal helper. I understood that he went went back to Concord because Emerson requested him to come help out at home. He published an article in Graham's magazine thanks to the effects of the New York editor Horace Greeley. Horace Greeley was a strong supporter of Thoreau throughout his life, I think, whose interest he had aroused. He pressed ahead with his work on Walden. He became acquainted with the great Swiss naturalist Louis Agassiz, who had taken a post at Harvard and began to send him unusual specimens of fish and reptiles. Again, only a few dated pages of the journal survive. The selections reprinted below come from a mutilated journal for the Walden period. From mid-1845 to mid-1847, they are put under this year for convenience. Uh -huh. Mutilated. I guess it got a little weathered in Walden. We're reading the weathered, worn out, Weather mutilated journal of Henry David Thoreau. From mid-1845 to mid-47, they are put under this year for convenience. Uh -huh. Among them are a number of Thoreau's pungent observations. Uh -huh. hmm. Do you think his journals are old and crusty after sitting in the woods? Uh -huh. 1845 to 47, 
to live to a good old age, such as the ancients reached, serene and contented, dignifying the life of man, leading a simple, epic country life. Do you think we could live a simple, epic country life? But we're not in, we're in New York City, how could that be? Leading a simple, epic country life in these days of confusion and turmoil. Does our days also days of confusion and turmoil in the world? What that is what Wordsworth has done. He might, may have admired Wordsworth. Retaining the taste and the innocence of his youth, there is more wonderful talent, but nothing so cheering and world-famous as this. I think we should read Wordsworth's poetry. The life of man would seem to be going all to rack and pieces, and no instance of permanence and the ancient natural health notwithstanding Burns, Coleridge, and Carlyle. <laughs> so it's not working out for anybody but these three. Mm. Wife of man would be, seem to be going all their whack and pieces and no instance of permanence in the ancient natural health, notwithstanding Burns and Coleridge and Carlyle. It would not do for men to die young. The greatest genius does not die young. Whom the gods love most do indeed die young. Mm. Mm. So they do die young when the gods love them. Do you find that die good die young sometimes mm -hmm. I don't know why that is <laughs> whom the gods love most do die young but not till their life is matured and their years are like those of the oak for they are the products half of nature and half of God what should nature do without old men, not children, but men? The life of men, not to become a mockery and a jest, should last a respectable term of years. Have we had a respectable term yet? Do you think mine up to now is respectable, or I should have to live to a hundred? <laughs> Would I die respectable now? <laughs> Have I written enough poetry to be respectable? <laughs> uh, have I played enough piano pieces? <laughs> have I played the entire Western canon and read and studied the Western canon? And, nah, I don't know. We can keep working on it, I guess. I may, may still have some years left. The life of man, not to become a mockery and a just should last a respectable term of years we cannot spare. The age of those old Greek philosophers, they live long, who do not live for a near end, who still forever look to the immeasurable future for their manhood. 1845 to 47, here we're still in this 
These are kind of meshed together in time here because of the scraggling of the the weathering of the journal. <laughs> he got an old journal. From all points of the compass, from the earth beneath and the heavens above have come these inspirations and been entered duly in the order of their arrival in the journal. Thereafter, when the time arrived, they were winnowed into lectures, and again, in due time, from lectures into essays. He's telling us what he did with the journals here. And at last, they stand like the cubes of Pythagoras. <laughs> His journals are the cubes of Pythagoras. So now we have a name for the journals. <laughs> I'm going to call it the cubes of Pythagoras. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah, he has cubes. Remember those cubes where he... Does he make a right triangle or a circle? or uh, Firmly on either basis, he proves the right triangle, the square, square of the sides, equals the square of the... sum of the square of the sides equals the square of the hypotenuse. Uh -huh. With the cubes of Pythagoras firmly on either basis, like statues on their pedestals. But the statues rarely take hold of hands. There is only such connection and series as is attainable in the galleries, and this affects their immediate practical and popular influence. Uh, 1845 to 47, they're still the same. King James loved his old shoes best. Uh -huh. Who does not? Indeed, these new clothes are often worn and worn, are often won and worn only after a most painful birth. At first, movable prisons, oyster shells, which the tide only raises, opens and shuts, washing in what Grant scanty nutriment may be afloat. How many men walk over the limits, carrying their limits with them? In the stocks they stand, not without gaze of multitudes, only without rotten eggs, in torturing boots, the last wedge but one driven. Why should we be startled at death? Life is constant putting off of the mortal coil, coat, cuticle, flesh and bones, all old clothes. Moles nesting in your cellar and nibbling every third potato. Hmm. A whole rabbit warren only separated from you by the flooring. Remember he and Walden, he had rabbits living under the house. Mm -hmm. To be saluted when you stir in the dawn by the hasty departure of Monsieur Thump, 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 striking his head against the floor timbers, squirrels and field mice that hold to a community of property in your store stock of chestnuts. Do you think he got into the chestnuts? How do they get into it, the squirrels and mice? Doesn't he have it in a container? The blue jays suffered few chestnuts to reach the ground, resorting to your single tree in flocks in the early morning and picking them out of the burrs at a great advantage. 
I don't know if he calls the outer shell of a chestnut a burr. And we're talking about the same chestnuts that we ate yesterday, probably, because these chestnuts grew in New England. Where the crop of blackberries, small prairies not yet grown, groundnuts not dug. Do we roast chestnuts over an open fire in Christmas time? <laughs> we didn't roast them, we boiled them in hot water. And we didn't pick them from the trees, we bought them from the store. 1845 to 47. Bread I made pretty well for a while. While I remember the rules, for I studied this out methodic, methodically. Going clear back to the primitive days and first invention of the unleavened kind and coming gradually down through that lucky accidental souring of the dough which taught men the leavening process and all the various fermentations thereafter till you get to a good, sweet, wholesome bread, the staff of life. Dear, do you think, was he able to make sourdough bread at Walden? You think so? Hmm. Everybody made bread for the bread. Well, he fermented the bread, sourdough bread. So here you could post that he was making sourdough bread. Only made sourdough bread. Only made it. That's all you could make. Uh -huh. Anyways, it said, good, sweet, wholesome bread to the staff of life. I went on very well mixing rye and flour and Indian and potato with success. Can you mix potato in your bread? Potato bread. Potato bread. See, he knows significantly more about cooking than we, I do, at least. Uh -huh. Till one morning I had forgotten the rules and thereafter scalded the yeast, killed it out, and so after the lapse of a month was glad, after all, to learn that such palatable staff of life could be made out of the dead and scalped creature and risings that lay flat. Hmm. Eighteen forty five to forty seven the way to compare men is to compare their respective ideals. Uh -huh. The actual man is too complex to deal with. Carlyle is an earnest, honest, heroic worker as literary man, literary and sympathizing brother of his race. Uh -huh. Idealize a man, and your notion takes distinctness at once. Carlyle's talent is perhaps quite equal to his genius. Striving, question mark, to live in reality, not a general critic, philosopher, or poet. He says he strived to live in reality. Not a general critic, philosopher, or poet, do we strive to live in reality, or are we just general critics, philosophers, uh, or poets? Uh, I think we strive to live in reality as well, don't we? 
I'm striving now to read this. Wordsworth, with very feeble talent, has not so great and admirable as unquestionable and persevering genius. What's that mean? He's not so great? Wordsworth, with very feeble talent, has not so great and admirable as unquestionable and persevering genius. Larry says it's unquestionably genius. Mm. Has not so great and admirable. I'm trying to understand it. Wordsworth, with very feeble talent, has not so great and admirable as unquestionable and persevering genius. <laughs> hmm. I don't know what it means. So. I'm just a two-bit scribe here, a reader, and my job is to read, not to interpret. When uh, After I've lived to a hundred, uh, become a great man, I can give comment and criticism. <laughs> Heroism and heroism in his word, the, the, his thing. He would realize a brave and adequate human life and die, hopefully, at last. Now we have Emerson again is a critic, poet, philosopher. He's actually going to talk, mentions Emerson here. Emerson again is a critic, poet, philosopher with talent, not so conspicuous, not so adequate to his task, but his field is still higher. His task more arduous, lives a far more intense life, seeks to realize a divine life, his affections and intellect equally developed, uh, has advanced farther, and a new heaven opens to him. Love and friendship, religion, poetry, the holy are familiar to him. The life of an artist more variegated, more observing, finer perception, not so robust, elastic, practical enough in his own field, faithful a judge of men. There is no such general critic of men and things, no such trustworthy and faithful man. More of the divine realized in him than in any. A poet, critic, reserving the unqualified nouns for the God. If you were living at Emerson's and you were writing in your journal, would you write something good or bad about him? <laughs> what if he read your journal? What if his wife read his journal? Well, that's pretty good. Of course, he's uh, probably true, what he says. 1845-47, well, how many an afternoon has been stolen from more profitable, if not more attractive, industry afternoons when a good run <coughs> of custom might have been expected on the main street, such as tempt the ladies out a shopping spent, I say, by me away in the meadows in the high-nigh hopeless attempt to set the river on fire or to be set on fire by it with such tinder as I had 
with such flint as I was. Hmm. Trying at least to make it flow with milk and honey as I had heard of, or liquid gold and drown myself without getting wet, a laudable enterprise, though I have not much to show for it. So many autumn days spent outside the town, trying to hear what was in the wind, to hear it and carry it express. I well nigh sunk all my capital in it and lost my own breath into the bargain by running in the face of it. Depend upon it, it had, if it had concerned either of the parties, it would have appeared in the Yeoman's cassette, the Freeman, with other earliest intelligence. For many years I was self-appointed inspector of snowstorms and rainstorms, and did my duty faithfully, though I never received one cent for it. Surveyor, if not of higher things than of forest paths and all across lot routes, keeping many open ravines, bridged impassable, at all seasons where the public heel had testified to the importance of the same, all not only without charge, but even at a considerable risk and inconvenience, many a mower would have forborne to complain had he been aware of the invisible public good that was in jeopardy. Yeah, we should keep in mind that these journals, were, uh, it's like a personal journal, right? This is not edited and intended to be published and read by the public or read by me. This is somebody, he did that with books and essays and Walden and books he, he sent to publishers. But we're reading his, it's like you're reading your diary, somebody's diary after they died. So he didn't, he wrote to himself here and so doesn't make sense at all, so you can't blame him because he didn't, in other words, publish this to be read, but it is published, and we're reading it out of importance of its literary importance to American literature and transcendentalism, because we know that almost all of American literature came out of one town between 1845 and 1850. Uh, with Emerson, Nathaniel Hawthorne, Lisa May Alcott, uh, Edgar Allan Poe, and Emily Dickinson. And <laughs> Do you think all the good literature just came at one period of time out of one town? Uh, well, at least half of it. Mm. You read 1846 and 1847 with with uh, kind of weathered, uh, worn-out, uh, mixed-up journals because they're in bad condition, may have gotten eaten by the squirrels in Walden. <laughs> Just kidding. Any comment? Mm -mm. All right.